Uh, truly, we are living in a day with more anxiety and fear than, than I mean, I, I can't honestly, I don't know if, I, if I'm incorrect at all in this, but it, it just seems like we're, we're living in a day where there's more fear and anxiety than, than I've known in my lifetime anyway. This is just a, seems to be a, a, an era filled with anxiety. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are most the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults uh, above the age of 18 for a population total of 18%. Generalized anxiety disorder known as GAD affects 6.8 million, which is about 3% of the population. And if I understand, and, and I see David's here, so David might have to correct some of my some of my psychological stuff that I'm saying here, but uh, supposedly GAD is just, uh, it's, it's, you're just nervous all that you're, you're anxious and worried about everything. Is that what GAD is? And, and so, yeah, that affects like 6.8, 3% of the population. What causes anxiety disorders? I want to read you something from Focus on the Family, and I quote, our understanding of the roots of anxiety disorders is very incomplete. Anxiety disorders constitute a class of mental health issues, and the underlying causes for each one may vary. It is not clear, for example, why a specific phobia might affect, affect one person but not another. It's likely that genetic and environmental factors combine to make some people more susceptible to certain anxiety disorders, and research is currently being done to increase our knowledge. I'm starting here at this point this morning because I want to tell you I really believe that anxiety disorders are real. I, I believe people can really be affected physically from, from anxiety disorders. And, and if you happen to be one of those people, I, I want to really urge you to get help. And one of the worst things that you could do is just say, well, this is just my lot in life and I'm just going to have to live with this and, and, and find no relief or no help from, from your uh, anxiety. But I, I really want to challenge you to get help. Laura Ortberg-Turner, writing for Christianity Today a few weeks ago on the subject of anxiety, uh, she herself being a sufferer, she made this observation, and I quote, over at the Gospel Coalition's website a couple of weeks ago, Justin Taylor wrote a blog post, Eight Reasons Why My Anxiety is Pointless and Foolish, that illustrate the difficulty we come up against within the Christian community. I'm sure Taylor wrote with a good desire to help free people from anxiety. But this kind of treatment, a list of reasons with Bible verses posted beneath each one, only ends up alienating those of us who have seriously struggled with it. Telling Christians that our anxiety is pointless and foolish and pointing to a list of verses as evidence doesn't serve to create community. Rather, it perpetuates fear. Fear that there is something wrong with me. Fear of being seen and rejected. That being seen, she means fear of being honest about what I struggle with for the fear of being rejected, for who, who I really am, fear that I will never trust God enough. An attitude that says the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, will never get us very far in conversations about anxiety because it effectively ends the conversation and usually ends up creating more anxiety for those who already struggle with it. We Christians need to grow our capacity for understanding and vulnerability, treasuring those means of connection as we also submit to God's truth, unquote. Now, I, I read that and I start here because if you happen to be a sufferer with an anxiety disorder, I don't want today's talk to make you feel rejected. I don't want you to feel like, hey, Jimmy's saying this, so therefore I've got to hide my anxiety disorder. I've got to hang, I've got to hide my anxiety from everyone lest they think I have some disorder or, or that I'm not spiritual because I can't just, you know, do what the scripture says about anxiety. And so, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And uh, so I, I want to say to you, if you happen to be someone who has anxiety as a disorder, please don't hear me 
trying to drive you into the shadows. That is not my desire. In fact, if you have such an order, you know, if you really do struggle with anxiety more than all of us do, and it's something different, then I really want to, I want to encourage you to be open about that. To let us pray with you, for you, for, for you to be honest about where your struggles are. Because really, the Christian community, that's what we're supposed to be about, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, we're supposed to be honest and transparent with our struggles so that the rest of us can rally around one another and help one another in our spots of weakness. And so if this happens to be something you're struggling with, you know, I really want to, I really want to encourage you to avail yourself. Um, now, I never asked her, but she even said it out loud just then, so I'm going to say it out loud now. But my aunt has struggled with anxiety, um, though today she has learned to handle that in much better ways than she has in the past. She still has to fight anxiety and worry in, in a way that I think is probably different than, definitely different than me, and probably definitely different than most of us, right? So this is, this is real. But, now here's the big, the big but, okay? <laughs> the big but. The big but, for those of you that are laughing, that's B-U-T. So this is the big but. For most of us, our anxiety is not brought on by some genetic problem or because there's some sort of physical imbalance in how my body is, is, is reacting to certain things. Most of us, when we suffer from anxiety, it is not GAD or something else. It is because we are operating in error. It's because we're not seeking to apply what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus begins in verse 25. This is why I tell you, you followers of me, you, you, you followers of Jesus, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus begins this morning. He says, don't worry about your life. And specifically, he talks about provision here. But, but we can expand this. Don't worry about your life. God doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be consumed with anxiety or, or the necessities of life. And like, like always, Jesus, who when he gives us a command, he also gives us helps, I believe. You know, the things that he commands us, he also helps us with. And, and so in, in the text, Jesus offers us three helps, I believe, to help us with our anxiety and our worry and, and that sort of thing. And so I'm going to go through them and I'm just going to show them to you and then hopefully we'll do something about it. Here's the first help that he gives us. He says, it will help you to know the truth. It will help you to know the truth. And then Jesus lays out for us three truths. Here's the first one. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Here's what Jesus says. God takes care of the birds. And I mean, the birds are, you know, here one day and they're gone in a week or however long they live. It's not very long, but God takes care of the birds. And aren't you much more valuable to God than the birds? God's going to take care of you. God cares for you. The first truth Jesus wants you to know is that one. And then he illustrates it uh, with clothing in verse 28. Why do you worry about your clothes? Learn how, to, learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor, spin, thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor is adorned like one of these. I, I think probably Jesus has this, this um, field of wildflowers in mind. You've been riding down the interstate where they've planted wildflowers down the center and it's just a wash with color and it's just beyond beauty. 
And, and I think Jesus probably had that in mind. He said, have you seen that before? You know, they don't spin. They don't do anything. God brings that about. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field that's here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, Jesus gives it a, a yesterday and today kind of thing, a, a two-day uh, span. He says, won't he do much more for you? God, God cares about the flowers. If God cares about the flowers that are here just for a moment in time, doesn't he care about you? Don't you think he cares about you? And that's the truth. Verse 31. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Why? Because you're more valuable to God than the birds are the flowers. God, God loves you in a way that he doesn't love the flowers and he doesn't love the birds, okay? I wish we had different words in our language. We don't. We use the word, I love the flowers, I love my wife. I mean, we mean two very different things. We use the same word. Jesus, Jesus loves us in a way that we are so valuable to him. He cares about you. And one of the things that Jesus says is if you want to come anxiety and, 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 and worry, you have, to recognize, you have to know the truth. And here's the truth you need to know. God cares for you. Here's the second truth. Worry accomplishes nothing. Verse 27. Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And Jesus almost makes a joke. Can anybody get taller by worrying? You know, if you happen to be a short person, you know, um, <laughs> you, you can't worry yourself into being taller. You just can't. It's not going to, it's not going to add any inch to, if anything, it probably makes you, make you shrink in height, right? Because I guess it would. I don't know. Here's the deal. You can't fix anything by worrying, everybody. I mean, it seems so obvious, but we need, to, we need to remind ourselves of that truth. Your worry doesn't change anything. I woke up at 2.30 in the morning about a week and a half ago because we were going to do something the very next day that I was worrying about. And so when I woke up at 2.30, I, 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 I could not get to sleep for two hours. My mind just kept thinking about what if this, what if that, what if this. And you know what? My worrying for those two hours didn't, didn't, do, didn't do anything. Fresh out of business school, a young man answers a, a one ad for an accountant, and he's being interviewed by a very nervous man with a small business. And uh, he said, I need someone with an accounting degree, but mainly I'm looking for someone to do my worrying for me, this business owner said. Excuse me, the accountant said. He said, I worry about a lot of things, but I don't want to have to worry about money. Your job will be to take care of all the money worries off my back or take all the money worries off my back. I see, the accountant said. And how much does the job pay? And the man said, well, I'll start you off at 80000 And the guy goes, $80,000? How can such a small business afford such a large sum like that? That, said the owner, is your first worry. <laughs> Ian McLaren noted, what does your anxiety do? It does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. It does not make you escape the evil. It makes you unfit to cope with it when it comes. God gives us the power to bear all the sorrow of his making, but he does not guarantee to give us strength to bear the burdens of our own making, such as worry induces. Two truths, know them. God cares for you. And number two, worry accomplishes nothing. The third truth that, that Jesus gives us is this. God knows exactly what you need. God always knows what you need. Verse 32, for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. People who do not know God seek after things, the provisions. Jesus says you don't need to do that. Because your Father in heaven knows that you need them. When you're faced with a need, you need to be aware of this truth. God knows. He, he, he's, it's not going to catch him off guard. It's not going to catch him surprised. 
Later in Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid of their enemies. Listen to what he says. This is chapter 10. Don't be, af- don't be afraid, or don't fear, excuse me, those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him, that is God, who is able to destroy both your soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than your sparrows. Now, than the sparrows. Now here Jesus is talking about some of the same truths we just mentioned. But, but he tells us that God's knowledge of us is so absolute that even our, our, our hairs are numbered by God. I mean, his omniscience, his ability to know everything, if God exists, and he does exist, His ability to know everything is absolute. So he knows everything. He knows the number of your hair on your head. And he knows what your needs are before you need them. God cares for you. Worry accomplished nothing. And God knows your needs. That's the first help. Here's the second. You ready for this? His second help is believe that truth. Don't just know it. Believe it. So in verse 30. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You should believe this already. You already know this. You should believe this. And you say, well, why are you distinguishing those? I'm distinguishing those because it's very easy to know something and it's a very different thing to know it and then to, and then to believe it, to believe it to be true, to, to hold to it as if, you know, I can trust it. And what I want to say to all of us this morning is that the linchpin of, of really all of the scriptures in a way, maybe there's several linchpins. Jesus is obviously the linchpin and his death and resurrection. But, but there's a sense in which without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's sort of like a linchpin in our Bibles. We cannot please God without faith. And so in Hebrews 11, the author tells us about the faith of God's people conquering their fears. Listen, this is 1132. Just listen. And what more can I say? The author of Hebrews writes, Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered judgment, justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Now, how did they do that and not succumb to fear? Because by faith they did it. They believed God. And so what I want to say to you, Jesus is telling us, you want to know how to overcome anxiety and fear in your life? You have to know these three truths. God cares for you. Worry does nothing. And God knows your needs. And then you have to believe that. And believing it isn't intellectually just assenting to something. Believing is actually trusting in it. Actually acting upon what you know. So the practical question then would be, how do I turn my believing, my knowing into believing, right? Well, here's what David says in the Old Testament. Let's take some cues from him. Psalm 56, verses 3 through 4. David says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now notice David doesn't say, if I get afraid. He says, when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in the Lord. So here's what I think David is saying. When I recognize that I'm anxious and afraid, I'm going to consciously make a decision to trust in the Lord. I mean, I'm going to sit down and and instead of just going with my fears, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to make a decision to trust in God. 
Remember, Jesus told us this. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free if you know the truth and then you act on it and then you believe the truth. So here's what David does, I think. Here's what you and I should do. I want to I help you go from just knowing something to believing it. So here, here it is. Rehearse when you're afraid, when, when anxiety is going off and you're afraid and you're worried and you're worried about this person or you're worried about that storm or you're worried about this job or you're worried about this thing may happen, right? When that happens, you know, step back and rehearse these truths in your heart. God cares for me. My worrying about this isn't going to change what's going to happen in the future. And, and God knows what I need. And so David, I mean, Peter then says in one of, in his book, he says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. So here's, here's what I believe. This is how we move from, from truth to faith is we, we, we rehearse what we know. And then by faith, we say, we, 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 we say, we cast our cares on the Lord. We, we, we consciously make a decision. God, I'm going to relinquish this fear and this anxiety and I'm going to give it to you. Now, let me, let me see if I can, let me see if I can illustrate this uh, using Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 6. In, uh, 4, 6 through 7, I'm sorry. In 4, 6 through 7, Paul's writing, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what I do. Here's what we do, folks. We, we, and I'm going to suggest prayer. But, but you just stop when you feel anxious. Let it be a warning. Let it be a warning to you. When you're anxious and worried and afraid, stop. If you, if you can catch yourself in this position, stop and then rehearse the truth. Hey, why am I afraid? God cares for me. Why am I afraid? God knows what I need. Why am I afraid? Why am I worrying? It's not going to change anything. And then you pray and you cast your cares on God. You just take that thing that you're worried about and you, and, you, and you say, God, you care about this. You care for me. You know about this. Here, you take this and you pray. And notice that Paul says you do this, you do this with what? With, with thanksgiving. You do it with a grateful heart to God. God, you, you got this, all right? The beginning of anxiety, somebody, somebody quipped, nobody knows where this came from, but, but I think it's really good. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know, my brother Steve is a pilot, and he has, uh, he has his, um, and Doug, you can probably relate to this, but he has his instrumentation uh, rating. And what that means is my brother can fly when cloud cover is really, really low. And I remember him telling me about the first time he's bringing his plane in on instruments, and it's cloudy down to like 100 feet. And so my brother is landing his plane in absolute white. He can't see anything. He just has to listen he just has to listen and trust the controller on the other end who's telling him what to do. And he said, it's nerve-wracking. You're coming down. You know you're getting closer to the ground, you know, but you just have to listen to the instruments and do what they say. And then all of a sudden, you pop out of the clouds, and there it is, and the runway's just like right there, right? And uh, Doug could probably relate to that. But, but that's sort of what the Lord's asking you to do. See, anxiety is when all the clouds are there and you can't see the end. God's just basically saying, hey, I've got this. I care for you. Your worry's not going to change anything. And I know what you need. Now trust me. And I think the key for us walking in, from truth into, into faith is, is, is talking to God about that. 
telling him and, and surrendering, doing what Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now we come to the third help that Jesus gives us. And the third help that Jesus gives us in overcoming anxiety and, and worry in our lives. Number one is to know the truth. Number two is believe the truth. And number three is this, seek the right thing in life. Seems to not really fit with the other two, but, but that's what he says. Seek the right thing in life. So if you're anxious and you worry, this, this is for you. Choose to focus on something maybe different than what you're focusing on. Look at verse 32. For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. I'll read verse 33 one more time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You know, if you have to worry about anything, worry about this. You know, worry about seeking first the kingdom of God. If you've got to worry, worry about that. In fact, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he quipped, that Jesus is telling us not to worry about anything, but since we probably will, we ought to worry about something significant, i.e. this. All right? Now, in verse 32 and verse 33, Jesus contrasts people who know God and people who don't know God. Here's the difference. People who do not know God seek stuff. You see that in verse 32? People who do not know God seek after the things of this life. He says, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, Gentiles here is not an ethnic division. He's not, he's not, that's, he's not using that word ethnically. He's really using that word religiously, basically to refer to people who do not know God. And so he's basically saying, people who do not know God, they seek after all stuff. All right, seek after stuff. You don't seek after stuff. You don't need to seek after stuff. You know, uh, in our culture... I was thinking about my children. When, in this culture where we, where we are, where we grew up, my kids had never come home from whatever they were doing wondering whether they would have a house or wondering whether they would have a meal because they just knew and they trusted that their parents were going to provide for them. Okay, And they believed their parents could, so they didn't worry about that. And that's what Jesus is basically saying to us. You, know, you don't need to seek after stuff because your Father in heaven is able and your Father in heaven has this, so you just, you just trust in him. This is the second time that in this same sermon, Jesus has told his followers, God knows what you need. In chapter 6, verse 7, remember this a couple of weeks ago? And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need, what you need before you ask. So there's that reminder. God already knows what we need, everything we need. If you seek stuff, you're going to reap worry. But then he turns in verse 33, and he says, people who know God basically seek God. People who know God seek God. They seek after God's kingdom. And this is the grand summation of the message. It's definitely the grand summation of this, of this talk about worry. Jesus basically says, hey, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto you. So there's a great word for us. The people of God. Seek God, and God's going to provide for us. Seek first his kingdom. Now, when God says seek first, he's not talking about a chronology. He's not talking about a process. Seek God first, and then seek this second, and seek this third. That's not what he's saying. He's basically seek God first in every aspect of your life. Make God your priority. So basically, he's saying seek God first in your family. Seek God first in your job, in your career. Seek God first in your possessions. Seek God first in your time. In other words, put God first at all of these, at these different aspects of our life. Put God in front of your money. We talked about that last week. Jesus said, if you seek me, 
You're gonna, he says, if you seek me, you're, you're going to have all these things added to you. Other places in the scripture says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. In fact, in another place, Jesus said, if you don't seek me, you're not worthy of me. J.C. Penney, who built one of the greatest retail industries uh, you know, in our country and a generation gone by, I think they're on the demise now, but back in 1929, J.C. Penney lost everything. He had built this feed store kind of chain, and he lost it all, and he was so devastated by the loss that uh, he uh, became physically ill, mentally depressed. He, he committed himself to a sanatorium, and uh, one morning, he's walking down the hall, and he hears them singing this song, Do not, uh, be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. All you need, he will provide, God will take care of you. So he followed the sounds of that song into a room that was filled with doctors and nurses, and they were worshiping. And somebody was reading the scripture text, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in a moment, the man who had lost everything and now is in a sanatorium because he's so depressed and so filled with worry or whatever, he, um, he, he let me read you, let me just, I've got it down here, let me quote it for you. I quote, and this is, this is J.C. Penney, At that time, something happened to me which I cannot explain. It was life-changing. It was a life-changing miracle, and I've been a different person ever since. I saw God in His glory and planned to be baptized and to join a church. Over the next 12 hours, he, he stayed in that room and basically in conversation with God. And this is what he says. Suddenly, and I quote, suddenly needing to be heard, I cried inwardly, Lord, will you take care of me? I can do nothing for myself. I felt I was passing out of darkness into light, unquote. He went on to say that he kept hearing in his heart, only believe, J.C., only believe. And I quote, and I leave this last quote from him. He says, in the midst of failure to believe, I was being helped back to believing. He went on, of course, to build J.C. Penney's, you know, the retail industry. But what changed in J.C. Penney's life is he went from trying to build a business to basically trusting God and seeking his kingdom. And if there's anything that I think God wants to say to us this morning, it's this. If you want to overcome anxiety and worry, focus on the Lord's kingdom. See, if you're focusing on your stuff and you're focusing on anything but Him, then the result's going to be worry because you might lose it because you can't hang on to it, right? I mean, I've heard of people, I mean, everybody in Florida is worried they're going to lose all their possessions if they happen to be in the track of the storm. And there is absolutely nothing they can do to change that, okay? So if you seek after stuff, then you're going to worry. But if you seek after the Lord, the Lord says, I will take care of you and I will add those things to you. In fact, that's the promise of verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I read a preacher who wrote this. That's God's affirmative action program. That's God's social security system. That's God's faith-based initiative. If you see God, he's going to take care of everything else for you. The Old Testament has taught us that. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the key, everybody. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Know the truth. Believe. Have faith in what God says. And then seek his kingdom. And he promises, I'm going to take care of everything else. But I, but I tell you, your anxiety is going to go away. Your anxiety is going to go away. i got two more things I want to say to you. And that is, how do we go about seeking the kingdom of God first? Right? Let's, let's get practical. It's really neat for me to say, seek, seek the kingdom of God first. But how do you do that practically? 
And, and this is going to be a hard question maybe to answer, but, but the Lord brought two things to mind. And then when I finished my notes earlier in the week, when I finished my notes, I realized that I'd already said this to you in a way. And I thought, well, man, do I go back and take it out? And I decided, no, I'm going to say it to you again. How do you seek the kingdom of God? How do you seek to not, you know, seek his kingdom so worry doesn't take over your life? And how do you do that? Well, here's, here's how you do it. It begins with you choosing. It begins with a decision. It begins with a point, a point of decision in your life. We are willful creatures. We, we have a will and the ability to make a decision between two competing choices in our life. You are not like creatures, the other creatures that God made. You are made in the image of God. And what that means is that you don't operate by your nature. You're not instinctual creatures. You have the ability to choose between two competing choices. And there are two competing choices in your life. Who's going to be God? Is God going to be God? Or are you and your things going to be God in your life? And what I want to say to you this morning is the key to, the first key to seeking God is for you to make a decision that I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek his kingdom. I'm I'm going to be all about him. I'm not going to be about getting stuff, getting ahead or getting power. I'm going to be about getting him and knowing him and loving him and serving him. You make a choice. What does the world say? The world says he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not true. That is not true. The one who dies with Christ wins. Because the one who dies with Christ, let me tell you what you get. You get resurrection from the dead and immortality. You get a face-to-face relationship with eternal God, your creator, the one who's loved you from the beginning. You get a relationship with one another that lasts forever and ever and ever. And you not only that, it's going to be a redeemed relationship. You know, sometimes we hurt one another, and so our relationships are tough, right? I mean, we still love each other. I mean, we're the body of Christ. We know we're commanded to love, and, and yet but there's this hurt. And all. Can I tell you something about, about the, the, the thing that God's got for all of us? Great relationships with no more pain and sorrow. Forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what you get when you die in Christ. <laughs> That's what you get when you die with Christ as Lord. You know, when I, when I was working on this, what came to mind was Joshua in the Old Testament and, and Isaiah in the Old Testament. And I bet you if you're tracking with me, you know exactly what I'm going to say next. Do you remember Josh? He got all these people together. And he, he, most of them are not following God. Most of them don't believe in God. They're not, they're not, they don't have faith. He stands up in front of them and he says... He says, this day, this day, choose you this day who you're going to serve. And can I tell you, that's the key this morning. If if you want, if you want to seek God, you've got to decide who are you going to seek? Who's going to be Lord? You've got to make a decision. Choose you this day. Choose you this day. And in the words of Isaiah the prophet on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal, Right? God would tell him later on, only 7,000 believers amongst the Jews. Only 7,000 have faith, right? But you remember, remember, Elijah stands up and he says, not to the prophets of Baal, but to the people of Israel. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer a word. They, just said they, sh- they, they were just stone quiet. But they got it. And I want you to get it this morning. 
I remember I was 19 years old. I was 19 years old. And I came to a place where I had to make a decision. Is Jesus Lord or not? Am I going to seek first the kingdom of God or not? And you know what? Ever since 1957 now, I have been striving through the Spirit and through, through, through my heart. I've been striving to seek first the kingdom of God. Haven't always done it well. Haven't always done it right. Sometimes it's really hard, and you know, when you've when you got these competing things going on, so it's, it's sometimes you choose to, to, to not seek the kingdom of God, you choose to seek you. But you know what? It begins with a point of decision. And so I'm, I'm really challenging all of you this morning. Have you come to a point of decision in your life where you've said, I am going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to seek first Jesus. I'm going to seek to know him. Jesus says, I'll add everything else to you. Just seek me. Seek my kingdom, seek me, and I'll take care of everything else in your life. You don't have to worry about it. I've got it. I've got it. Number two, and with this I'm finished. And this is, how do we seek the Lord? How, how, do we, how do we seek the Lord in such a way so that we don't, so anxiety doesn't overtake us and worry doesn't overtake us? And so here, here was the second thing. And there's other things that we could say, but here's what came to mind to say to you this morning, is that I do that by consciously choosing not to fill my heart with things that want to rob me of, of this peace that God gives me, of this, this focus on the Lord Jesus. I don't fill my heart with stuff that will rob me of what I'm seeking, to, who I'm seeking to follow. Now, you might be saying, again, if you're tracking with me, you're saying, well, Jimmy, that's, not, that's just saying the negative of what you just said. That's just saying the same thing backwards. You know, because if you're, not, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to say no to these other things. Now you're already saying, saying no to these other things. And yeah, you, you got some, there's a point to that. But let me read you from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin with verse 5. It says, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. That verse has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I wanted to start there because I love that verse. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. But now let's pick up verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We already talked about that. You know, when you got that, when you got those things that are, you know, uh, are causing you to, to think that God doesn't care about you or that God doesn't know and, and you're starting to worry, take those things to God in prayer. But then he continues, okay, and this is what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now here's what Paul says, dwell on these things, live there, live on these good things. And here's what I want to say to you, as long as we're not living on those good things, we're filling our heart with exactly the opposite. And you're filling your heart with things that are going to compete where your focus is going to be. And those things are also going to fill your heart, instead of with peace, they're going to fill your heart with fear and, and, um, and anxiety. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. If you struggle with anxiety that you're going to die in a car wreck or that you're going to be in a car wreck, don't watch videos of car wrecks. I mean, does that make sense? Don't fill your heart with the opposite of what you want. And so, you know, if, if, if we want to follow Christ, then don't fill your heart with, and, and this is, this is to me, this is to me. It's to you too. Let's not fill our heart with all this junk. 
that seeks to want to rob us, rob us of our focus of seeking God and His kingdom. And you know, specifically about anxiety and, uh, and worry, you know, uh, the news, can I just say this about the news? And I'm not advocating not watching the news, but you know, if you're a person who really struggles with anxiety and worry, and you watch the news... I mean, you know what the news wants to do? The news wants you to get, wants to get you anxious. Why? So that you'll come back and watch it next time. And so that their ratings can go up. And so everything they're trying to do, in a sense, is... And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm applying maybe bad motives to them, and I don't mean to do that. I'm simply saying that watching the news, if you're fearful of, of storms and all that kind of stuff, watching that sort of thing just fills your, fills your heart with that same anxiety. If you're one of these persons that is just really, really nervous over the state of our nation and the divide that's going on in our nation, which is, I think is a very real, really divide, but don't fill your heart with that kind of stuff day after day after day. Take a break from it. Stop watching it on TV. Stop filling it. Now, stop letting the, the social media fill your heart with the things that rob you of your peace, that rob you of, of, your, of your joy. Because they make you anxious when you focus on those things. Choose to seek God and choose to limit your intake of what is not true, not lovely, not pure, not honorable, not just, not commendable, not morally excellent, and not praiseworthy. Like I said, I I direct that at me because, you know, I'm guilty of that. Let's not fill our heart with things that are going to compete with us wanting to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus ends this topic with verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Eugene Peterson, in the message, he translates verse 34 like this. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when tomorrow comes. Do you believe that? Let's try to do that. Let's try to leave the worry of tomorrow in, in, into God's hands. For several years, 10 years, actually, a woman was having trouble getting to sleep every night because she worried about robbers. And one night, her husband heard something downstairs. So he went down to investigate, and sure enough, there was a robber, a burglar. He said, good evening. I am pleased to see you. Come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years for you. <laughs> that woman was borrowing 10 years of worry. Borrowing 10 years of worry that she didn't need to worry about. I want to end with a good illustration from history. In 480 B.C., an outmanned army of Sparta's King Leonidas, Leonidas, he fought off the Persians under King Xerxes by fighting them in a narrow pass. I think the movie 300 was about this, but uh, he, he fought them, and he fought them in that pass. And this is an illustration I thought of. C.H. Spurgeon was the one who thought this up. And this is what he said, and I quote, Suppose Leonidas and his handful of men had gone out into the wide open plain and attacked the Persians. Why, they would have died at once, even though they might have fought like lions. Spurgeon continued, by saying that Christians stand in the narrow pass of today, if if they choose to battle every difficulty at once, they're sure to suffer defeat. But if they trust God and take their troubles one by one, they will find that their strength is sufficient. That's what Jesus is saying. God's got tomorrow. Don't you worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going to happen to that lift if you got it on that trailer. Don't worry about that, you know. You're doing what's right. It's going to be okay. Just trust me for tomorrow. And whatever happens, I'll be there with you. 
Now, none of this means, none of this means we don't pray. None of this means we don't prepare. None of this means that, you know, listen, if you're in line with the hurricane, uh, get out of town. See, Lily did the right thing, right? So, you know, you just, it doesn't mean we don't react foolish, but, but we don't have to worry because I can't change anything that's going to happen. Seek him first, love him most, follow him best, and then let him take care of how everything else turns out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we want to do what you've told us to do, not worry. But we confess that worry and anxiety, it's, it's, just, it's really tough, Lord. It's tough because we don't want bad things to happen and, and, uh, and we can't control it, so we worry. Lord, this morning I pray that you would somehow uh, rivet to my heart and to the hearts of my brothers and sisters this truth that you care and that you know, and that my worry does nothing. Lord, would you, would you make it so those truths never, ever, ever escape us again? And then would you help us, Lord, to believe those things, to make a decision to trust you, to make a decision to seek you first, and then, and then to allow you to do what you promise, which is I'll take care of everything. Just trust me. So, so help us with that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.